Welcome to Elisa Baldes has a podcast. Today we're going to be talking about the five most embarrassing moments in my life as a writer. So being a writer is pretty great. Can't lie. I really wouldn't want to do anything else except maybe be a game warden if I were younger and could start over again, but I'm not. Um, And you know what? Even then, I'd probably be a game warden and a writer. So that said, there have been some not-so-great moments in my 25-plus year career as a writer, and I wanted to share them. Um, Just because it's kind of cool to stay humble, and also because I think a lot of us make mistakes in our lives and careers. I mean, we all do. And I've made some whoppers, some really regrettable things, but I share them not to, you know, put myself down, but just to say, you know, I also screwed up, but the, the silver lining in screwing up for me, and I think for all of us, if we can sort of create the, the proper narrative around our mistakes, is that we learn from them. Mistakes are really, really wonderful teachers in disguise. Okay, so I've narrowed it down to the top five biggest mistakes I've made. You ready? Here we go. Number one, the big fall. The big fall. Several years back, I'm, and I'm a novelist for those of you who are new to this, okay? So I'm talking about you know the world of writing novels and then also the world of getting those novels turned into film or TV series, which I've been trying to do for 15 years or more and haven't been able to, in part because of some of the dumb things I've done. Okay, The Big Fall. So several years back, I got a Hollywood meeting with a very, very cool movie studio, which was exciting. When I first became a novelist, I had no idea that people... In the film, I was very naive. I didn't know that the film and TV world was always looking to the book world for ideas and that they often would option books and adapt them. So when my books performed well, we got some calls, and um, one of them was from this studio. They were interested in maybe making a film out of my first book. So I was still young enough and foolish enough (laughs) to wear high heels (laughs) and suits. And just dumb shit to Hollywood meetings. Because I had become a professional on the East Coast. I'm from New Mexico, where professionals really don't <laughs> or didn't dress all that great. And then I would, I went to Boston for college, New York for grad school, and ended up working in Boston. And Boston professional workwear is very different than L.A. professional workwear. But uh, I was coming out of that world. And that was the wardrobe I had, and I was used to dressing a certain way. So I showed up for that Hollywood meeting in three-inch heels. (laughs) And probably some crap from Ann Taylor. I don't know. Um, We met at a restaurant, which was in this outdoor mall. I think it was in Century City, but I don't know. Uh, All I know is that outdoor mall had a lot of stairs outside. Big cement staircases outside with flowers stuff um and no one else (laughs) these were 
movie executives, but creatives, and no one else dressed up really at all. Or they dressed up, but in this L.A. way where the richest, most powerful people generally try to look like they don't care. Because <laughs> they don't. They dress very casually. Like they're going to go to the beach afterwards. All right, so then there's me. They're just kind of like, oh, that's sweet. <sighs> so that lunch went great, despite my outfit. Um, but as we were all headed back down the stairs <laughs> to go back to their office to talk some more, my heel, one of my big stupid heels, caught on one of the steps. And I went tumbling down an entire flight of stairs in front of everybody. I was trying so hard to look cool. That just to be like the Hollywood person. And what what was really dumb about me back then? There's lots still dumb about me, but this but this was dumb about me back then. Is I guess I had this idea, oh Hollywood film. So I was thinking celebrities, pretty people, stars, and I wanted to look like that. But the people behind the scenes, which is most of the people in Hollywood, they don't look like that. The writers, they, they have their own, like, costumes and, uni- I could almost say uniforms. Um, but the writers tend to look like writers. And the writer uniform is, like, jeans and some clever t-shirt type thing. Sneakers. Expensive sneakers, but not running. I don't know. You'd probably be a little, little overweight. Have some kind of glasses. If I'd really wanted to be taken seriously as a writer, I would have looked like what they think a writer looks like, but I didn't. I was trying to look like a star. (laughs) I fell down the stairs. (laughs) A whole flight of stairs. Not just in front of these studio executives, but like everybody else too. Not my not my most shining moment. Okay, so that's one. I I still got the deal. It was a development deal. I've only had development deals. Nothing ever goes into production. Probably never will for me, but we'll get to that in a second. Okay, so number two. This is why it'll probably never happen for me is number two. Number one was dumb, but number two was fucking stupid. I killed a really lucrative film deal with a tweet for myself. Yep, I probably shouldn't admit this, but I managed to kill a multi-million dollar film deal for me and my co-writer poor Jordan Jordan Aurora Aquino she deserves to like work with somebody who's not as fucking stupid as me okay we wrote a script we got the attention of a really amazing production company and they wanted they met with us they liked us after meeting with us I did not fall down at that lunch And they said they wanted to make our movie and that we could expect the deal memo from their legal department on a certain day. But that deal memo never came. Um, And here's what happened. Okay, so the week that they were, their legal department was actually working on that deal memo, I got on Twitter and I tweeted something negative. I was, this is how stupid I was. I was thinking, this is great. I'm going to finally get this deal with people who understand me. And that reminded me of the time I had a deal with someone who was racist and didn't understand me. So I thought the smart thing to do would be to 
on Twitter and tweet something negative about the racist things that somebody else who worked with me once said, and to use that person's name. So I did that. Kind of like, how you like me now? <laughs> racist person. I had no idea when I did that, that the person I was talking smack about on Twitter, true smack, but smack, was friends with the producer who wanted to buy my script at that moment. And he was watching me on social media very closely. He saw that tweet. Uh, that tweet had gotten picked up by some media outlet to gossip. Oh, this person. So he saw that. The day before he was about his legal department was going to send us a deal memo, and he shut the whole thing down. And he called, he didn't tell me, he told my agent that he wanted out. And he said his reason for wanting out was that was my tweet. <laughs> Holy shit, you guys. How self sabotaging can you get? My agent told me, Elisa, it is fine to call out racism in Hollywood, even noble but you don't name names. You don't name names. Reporters can do it, not you. Because Hollywood is a small town where nobody ever says no to anybody else. Nobody ever talks crap about anybody else because you never know who knows that person. Everyone in Hollywood knows everyone else. And they talk to each other. I didn't know that. Okay, so, and here's the thing. I used to be a journalist for a decade, I was a journalist, and my job was to call out injustices like racism in the entertainment industry. That's what I did for a living. That was what I was habituated to do. That's what I'd gotten rewarded for doing for a really long time. Uh, I worked for the L.A. Times doing that, right, <laughs> in L.A. Um, so, But then when I left journalism to become a novelist and a screenwriter, it I didn't really change. I didn't really think about making that adjustment. I thought I was successful as a novelist because I had that journalism background and I had that kind of innate desire for social justice that I thought was valuable, and and it is. But what I didn't really understand until very recently, because it takes me a long time to learn things sometimes, was that I I couldn't go from being an observer of things which is what a journalist is. You're an observer of things from the outside and you kind of call out whatever's wrong. You are a critic. To suddenly being in association with those people I used to observe and continue to be an outspoken observer. That it wouldn't work. It didn't work. Um, that they would shut me down. The, rule, the rules were different. So I've done that more than once because I, I had so many years of just being a journalist, which I think is what my personality is kind of predisposed to be. I was good at that. But I switched to do this other thing because journalism was kind of dying in the U.S. and I wanted to still have a way to tell the truth, what I saw to be the truth. And then and I realized I could only do that in fiction. Weirdly. All right, so more than once I've burned bridges in Hollywood now by speaking my mind about injustices in Hollywood. Like they don't, they don't want to hear it from their own. They don't want to hear it from anybody, probably, but definitely not people they want to work with. And you definitely don't call people out by name. So it's at the point now, if that happens once, it's kind of e even going to blacklist you. But it's I've done it more than once. So basically, 
through sheer naivete and ignorance, I have guaranteed pretty much that I'm all but blacklisted in Hollywood. Not necessarily because the people I want to work with in the industry disagree with me, but because I have a reputation. Like people get very alarmed. They're like, that girl will call you out by name. Uh, And, you know, so they don't trust me to be discreet. And I don't blame them because I wasn't. So that one hurt, and, and it keeps hurting, because uh, I was on the cusp of finally, I spent, I took six years off from writing books to learn how to write scripts, and I can do them well, you know, now, but what I'm finding, and I've met with people whose names you'd recognize, who are basically like, nobody wants to, <laughs> to work with you. Uh, I was on the cusp of finally making my dream come true as a producer and writer in film and TV, but I burned it to the ground with a tweet. A tweet, people. That's how dangerous Twitter is. It's like it's like addictive and really toxic for impulsive people. And I'm, I'm still struggling with it. I, I, I really, part of me wants to just shut it down. I don't want to deal with it at all. But it does help book sales and things. So anyway, it's been kind of like a long, painful learning process. And what I did was dumb. I think... You know, autism runs in my family, and I'm I'm not saying you're dumb if you're autistic. I'm saying I think I have some blind spots at times to what is socially acceptable. Some naivete where I'm just like, you know what, I'm going to tell people the truth. And I think it could be either like this mild spectrum thing or else just you know, a lot of people who are seen as quote-unquote highly gifted have this tendency too where you just speak the truth without realizing necessarily especially around issues of justice that not realizing that it could actually end up causing you to self-destruct it shouldn't you know in in a just and decent world it wouldn't but we know what kind of world we live in so I've done that all right moving on number three this one's a lot lighter hearted. <laughs> um, somebody asked me, number three most embarrassing thing. Somebody asked me for an autograph when I was in a bathroom stall. So like every writer dreams of being recognized. Like you're going to be famous enough and well read, widely enough read that somebody's going to ask you for an autograph. When you're not at a book signing, they're just going to be like, oh, I know that author. I love her books. Can you sign my shirt? Like this napkin. And that happened. Um, but when it finally happened, it was in a restaurant bathroom. And the, the reader slash fan who f- had followed me in there from the restaurant to ask me to sign a piece of paper, she shoved a paper and a pen under my stall door, which was pretty embarrassing and honestly scary. So I was like, maybe I didn't want that thing. maybe I don't want to be recognized I just like being able to use a public restroom without this happening okay number four oh god yeah so number four is that I agreed to read from the Spanish translation of one of my novels in public it was at the Miami book fair I was at the Miami book fair one year and for some reason they placed me on a panel with some really great writers from Latin America. The, the organizers thought that was appropriate. 
all those writers, and I didn't really realize it till I got there because I was really busy and I was just like, yeah, cool, they're gonna put me on this panel with these other writers. Meh. But I get to the panel and it's in Spanish, and they all write in Spanish, which is their native language. It's not mine. I'm an American writer who writes in my native tongue, which is English. I have a Spanish surname, but I'm American, just like, oh, I don't know. I have a Spanish name, be American, like California, <laughs> San Francisco, Florida, keep going, Rio Grande. That's me. Okay, but my book had been published simultaneously in Spanish, but the Spanish version was a translation, and I didn't translate it because I wouldn't deign to do that. I don't speak Spanish that well. I can get by, like, as a tourist or something, but I don't. It's not my native tongue. It's my dad's native tongue, but it was not my mom's, so we spoke Spanish in my house growing up. I mean, we spoke English. Sorry. What did we speak? English. My parents were basically Desi Arnaz and, and Lucille Ball. <laughs> I was like this redheaded clumsy American. My dad was this Cuban immigrant he, who liked to dance. <sighs> so anyway, that panel was completely in Spanish, and each of us were expected to read a few pages from our work so that the audience could get a taste of our writing. They should have said no. But I'm like, I can pull this off. All I have to do is read. But the thing is, to read well... First of all, I think the translation was crap because a lot of people later told me the translation wasn't very good. There were a couple of different translations of that book and the good one was done in, in from Seis Baral in Spain and the bad one wasn't, it was just not that good. That's what people told me. I don't know. I can't judge. Anyway, when when you're reading in a non-native language, you're kind of hesit more hesitant or else you sound like somebody who's maybe in like the first grade who's just starting to learn how to read that's how I was reading <sighs> my delivery was not smooth and as I read I noticed the other panelists who were men all men kind of rolling their eyes at each other covering their mouths like they wanted to laugh shifting in their seats like who is this chick why is she even on our panel her she's garbage I must have sounded like a complete idiot to them and the audience also looked like what is going on I was never, I, I, it, it was so embarrassing, you guys. It was so awful. Nobody knew why I was there on that panel, least of all me. And you know what? I shouldn't have been on that panel. I'm not a Latin American author. I'm an American author. So the problem, I should have researched that. And But I was also really new at it and really just kind of flattered to be invited to anything. <laughs> so I was like, cool, I'll go. And it... The organizers, I think, should have realized that I didn't belong on that panel. I belonged on the panel with, like, fucking Jennifer Weiner and Lauren Weisberg at the time. But they put me on some other... <sighs> you know how it goes. All right. Number five. Oh, God. Oh, God. I'm so glad I'm writing this so that, like, I never have to think about it all of this again. It's, like, nice and neatly put into this podcast and also a blog post. And I can just forget about it, I hope. Okay, number five, when I used notes, paper notes in my hand at my TED talk. <laughs> TEDx talk. Not really a TED. TEDx. TEDx is, like, the generic, the cheap on sale version of TED. Very local. Like 
whatever. I was asked to give a TEDx talk once in New York City. And as usual, I was asked to talk about, I was not, I was not asked to talk about the only thing I know anything about, which is writing in English. I was asked to talk about ethnicity because that happens to certain kinds of writers. Oh, why don't you talk about, anyway, I wasn't all that familiar with TEDx talks at the time because I was mostly just sitting around reading novels and writing novels. And so I just thought I'd been doing a lot of public speaking at different universities and whatever. And I thought, oh, cool. You know, it's just another public speaking engagement with a time limit. So I wrote a speech that I hoped would fit that timeline. It didn't. It went long, which is also a big no-no for TEDx talks. Oh, God. I've been such a fucking moron. All right. So, oh, sorry, my phone buzzed. Ignore. Um, yeah, so, see, I do think things like that. Let's report a, record a podcast and not turn the phone off. You guys, it's just hard being me, <laughs> living with me, and being me both at the same time. All right, so I didn't realize, because I was naive, that TED Talks were a very specific kind of talk that people train very hard to be able to give them there's a specific way to do it and you get trained I didn't get trained I just got invited they're like do you know how to give a talk yeah of course I talk give talks all the time and that you're not supposed to use notes and you're supposed to use certain hand gestures and like it's just the whole thing it's like a way (sighs) Jesus Christ okay so the whole thing was an unmitigated disaster and I wish it could be scrubbed from the internet forever and I know you're all going to go look it up now so please don't but you will but please don't but you will okay for what it's worth I I no longer agree to talks that are about anything other than the thing I know how to do which is write. I could tell you how to like plot a book I can tell you how to develop a character what I shouldn't be telling you is the stuff that you know historians and sociologists should be telling you and I don't know why they keep I mean I do we all know why they keep asking me to talk about that like can you imagine it Dean Koontz who's my favorite writer living writer can you imagine if like the only thing he was asked to talk about he's smart he doesn't do a lot of public speaking but if he did and they're like hey could you come talk about whiteness (laughs) come talk about what it's like to be white it's white month (laughs) Let's pay you some money to come be here and be white in front of everybody. It's so stupid, all right? So anyway, I don't agree to talks like that anymore. It's not fair for people to constantly ask people that they like me to talk about race and ethnicity, and that's not our area of interest or specialization. It's not. I like writing stories about every, every kind of person. That's what I do. So anyway... That said, I was also just plain ignorant about TED Talks, and I really made a huge freaking fool out of myself. And it's preserved forever on the internet now. I was like, uh, it was just bad. It was just bad, you guys. It was so bad. So the good news about all of these bad things is that I've learned something from them. The lessons were really hard, but I learned. What did I learn? Okay, I don't wear heels anymore. I just don't because they're dumb. Like, why would I have ever worn? They're not comfortable. And maybe it's because I'm a certain age now. I don't really care how my butt looks. <laughs> I don't care if anyone's impressed by my legs. In fact, 
I, I would just much rather have a really good meal than sex anymore. That's just my life. And, and not that heels are that, but it's kind of that it all kind of goes the same. Like, I want to be this pretty thing. I don't care about pretty anymore. It's so liberating. It's really cool. It's really awesome. Okay, so that's what I, I don't wear. I don't wear heels. I don't buy heels. I don't wear. I threw them all away. I wear running shoes, hiking shoes, sandals, Crocs. I have a pair of Crocs. Okay, I also don't call anyone in Hollywood or publishing out by name. No people, no companies, nothing on social media or anywhere else anymore. Because I'm not a journalist anymore. Like, why would I? Oh, you guys. I make myself tired. All right. That, I don't do readings or interviews in languages other than English anymore. Because why would I? I can defend myself in Spanish. I can understand Spanish, but I'm a writer. Like, wordcraft, wordsmithery is my passion. Why would I, like, just go somewhere and do something where I'm just going to sound like I don't know how to speak very well? So I don't do that. And then, (coughs) finally, (laughs) I will probably never get asked to give another TED Talk, but if I do... I'll do it right. I'll actually learn how to, I'll get one of those TED Talk coaches. Um, but no one's going to ask me to do a TED Talk about writing because they're too busy asking somebody like, like, like Dean Coons or someone who's not like me. All right. So that's it. Those are the five most embarrassing things that have happened. And what I learned from them, is it too late? Probably. I mean, I, I don't, you'll notice I didn't learn anything about like how to avoid stalkers in the bathroom stall because I, I don't know what the answer is there. I'm not wearing an adult diaper. I'm just not going to do it in a restaurant. I'm not. So maybe only go to restaurants that have single bathroom locking. That's probably... <laughs> That's what I could learn from that. All right, you guys. What have you learned the hard way in your career and life? I would love to know. Leave a comment. Let me know. Or don't leave a comment because most people don't talk about this publicly. Maybe this is my sixth biggest mistake is talking about the five most embarrassing things that have happened to me in my career. <laughs>